Om Namo Narayanaya. This is a recording of a talk of James Swartz on the Bhagavad Gita at Yoga Vidya Bad Meinberg near Hanover in Germany. Om Sadashiva Samarambam Chankaracharya Madhyamam Aspadacharya Paryantam Vande Guru Paramparam Ishwaro Gurudmeti Murti Beda Vibhagini Vyomabad Vyapta Dehaya Dakshina Murtayena Sarva Vedanta Siddhanta Gocharam Tamagocharam Govindam Paramanandam Sadgurum Pranatosmiham Om So, we have a rather dramatic uh, situation. D don't think because I cast Duryodhana as such a bad guy that everybody's is quite as evil as Duryodhana was. We're just talking about a tendency in everybody, that's all. This selfish tendency. This... Uh, Refusal to accommodate, uh, refusal to um, accept the limits of your circumstances, and uh, the desire to win at all costs. It's a fear-oriented psychology. You know, we can't discount our fears. Fears are... That's, that's life. Life is fears and life is desires. So this is what we're going to discuss now. So what happens? What's the situation? They lose their kingdom. They're sent into exile because of a trick. Maya's always tricking us. <laughs> There's some factor in us that's always tricking us, always fooling us. And that's just Maya factor. And they want to get back to who they are. They want to regain, the, get to the land of milk and honey, or regain their kingdom. They lost their kingdom to Duryodhana. So, so they decide to fight, they get their armies together. And then, a very interesting thing happens. It so happens that the most powerful person in India at that time was a king named Krishna. He, Krishna lived uh, in Dwaraka, which is on Gujarat side, on the Indian Ocean in western, northwestern India. And he had the most powerful army in India. And he was the most uh, respected and uh, person in India. And he was known uh, to Arjuna. He was actually a friend of Arjuna's. And he was known by 
uh, Duryodhana also. Everybody knew him. And so these two princes, Duryodhana and Arjuna, both wanted Krishna and his army to fight on their side. Because whoever got Krishna and the army was pretty much uh, bound to win. Was pretty, it was pretty be pretty sure that if Krishna and his army was fighting on one side or the other, that side would win. So they both wanted him. So they went to him and they asked him, will you fight with me? Arduryodhana asked him and, and Arjuna asked him. And he said, well, Here's, the, here's, here's what I'll do for you. He said, one of you can have my army and one of you can have me. That's, huh? That's an interesting choice, huh? Now, what do you think they both wanted? I mean, what would you want in that situation? What, what would you go for? Say so you're in a war like that, and you have a choice between one guy and the and his whole army, the most powerful army in India, and you're fighting a war. What would you, what would you choose? So, and he said, and they said, well, who, you know, how are we going to how are we going to sort this how are we going to sort this problem out? And Krishna said, well, you come tomorrow afternoon at, after my nap and you, and, and you can make your choice then. One of you gets me, one of you gets my army. So at four o'clock, Krishna, Krishna was sleeping on his side like this. And when he woke, and they both Duryodhana and Arjuna entered his his bedroom at the same time. And Arjuna went to his feet, and Duryodhana went and stood by his head. They separated. One Duryodhana stood by his head, and what? And Arjuna stood by his feet. So. Krishna was sleeping like this on his side and when he opened his eyes after his nap, he saw Arjuna. He couldn't see Duryodhana because Duryodhana was standing there. And he said, that's a symbol, obviously. The feet symbolize what? Knowledge. Why do your feet symbolize knowledge? That's a weird symbol, isn't it? In India, know that you see. Have you seen here all the feet? See these pictures of the feet? They all got flowers on them. They're all worshipped. You notice that? Feet symbolize knowledge. What? Why? Why? Because your feet stand under you. Your feet support you, don't they? And the knowledge of the self, what? Is your understanding of who you are is the only support you need in life. 
That's your support. If you, if you remember, we said that bondage is what leaning on objects, needing the support of objects. That's what bondage is. That's what attachment is. That's what suffering is. Suffering is leaning on objects. And freedom from suffering is what? Standing in awareness. Meaning, taking all of your meaning and support for your, your life and your mind from yourself. Depending only on the self for your support. Our Duryodhana went to the head because he was just making irrational calculations. He was only thinking the war and the numbers. He said, you know, numbers, huh? That's a head thinking, a head. But Arjuna was what? Arjuna was actually a friend of Krishna's and was devoted to Krishna. He liked Krishna. They were friends. He didn't really know who Krishna was. Hmm? Krishna was an enlightened person. But Krishna never had a chance to tell Arjuna anything, any, any uh, enlightenment business, any talk to him about enlightenment. Uh, beca because why? Because Arjuna never asked. <laughs> Arjuna was a rajasic, he was extroverted, he was extremely busy, he was very popular, he was powerful. He wasn't interested in spirituality. He knew there were monks around. He, he, you know, he could see the sannyasis and the sadhus in the society, but he had no interest in them. And he, he, he didn't know what an enlightened person was at all. He was just acquainted with Krishna. They were friends. And it was just out of devotion to his friend that he stood by his feet. So when Duryodhana opened his eyes, he said, oh, he said, since I saw Arjuna first, Arjuna gets first choice. Now, what do you think Duryodhana was thinking? Huh? What? Huh? Rats! <laughs> Rats! Huh? <laughs> <laughs> He's going to take the army. My goose is cooked. Oh, finish. And Arjuna said, I choose you, Krishna. What do you think Duryodhana was thinking? He was thinking, what? Idiot! What a moron! How could, I knew he was light in the, in, the, in the loafers. I knew there was something wrong with him. But now it's very clear that there's something wrong with this man because he chooses this one single guy and he can have the whole army. He said, and Duryodhana walks out happy. He says, thanks, thanks a lot. It's great. Love you, Arjuna. You just cooked your own goose. <laughs> and so... So that was the situation. So now the battlefields, and, and then Krishna says to Arjuna, he says, well, what do you want me to do? He says, you got me, he's got my army, but what about me? What do you want me to do? He says. 
Anarjuna says, <clears throat> I get emotional when I think about this. He says, you can drive my chariot. Means what? In those days, see the chariot, the warrior sat behind, up above, so he could see it. Well, they, it was archery. They, they, they fought with arrows. And the people without the chariots fought with spears and bow and, uh, and clubs and, and all of this sort of, you know, more gross instruments. But, the, but the, the rulers, the leaders, the generals and so forth, they had their own chariots. They had four horses and they had uh, drivers their own drivers, because they were busy fighting each other, shooting, trying to kill each other. And they're all going, moving, moving around. They couldn't manipulate the horses and shoot the arrows, so they needed a, a charioteer. So, so what he wanted was what? He want, and your chariot is, what is your chariot? Remember, it's a symbol. Your life, your body. And what are the, the, those horses? The senses. Four senses. Actually, there's five senses, but then the, the visual representation, there's four. The eyes, ears, nose, tongue, and skin. And, and those are controlled by what? By the self. See, Krishna is the self, and he wants Krishna in his field of vision all the time. Because he's always looking like this, and so Krishna is always in front of him. It's a symbol. He wants Krishna, or the truth, to be guiding his life. He doesn't quite understand this at the time. He just thinks he's got his friend who's going to help him. And Krishna says, says uh, I'm not going to do any fighting, but I'll, I'll drive the chariot. And so they come together, and the war, the, the one army's on one side, and the other army's on the other side. It was like a big sporting football match, actually. They, 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 they actually had a field where they would fight. And the one, got, the one side was there, and one side there, and they had, their, they had their food tents, they had their medical guys, they had the women and children, everybody came to see the war. And they fought it out. So that's the situation. And, and, uh, and that is, that's the, where we begin the text. Right. So we'll start. We'll start. And, and the first chapter, the first chapter we do not, uh, we're not going to go into the first chapter. That describes more or less the psychological content, the physical con context, all of the old karmic, uh, uh, the relationships that uh, it, it hints at the karmic relationships that had been developing. This this uh, this teaching is seven hundred verses in a fifty thousand verse Purana called the Mahabharata. So it's just a small little bit. And so there's been a huge development of character of the whole, a whole science of Vedanta in the beginning, in a symbolic form, in a story form. The Puranas were story form. 
they were uh, myth mythological literature. We would call them mythology. So, so here we go. And so what he did, <coughs> what he did was, Arjuna said, they're all lined up, and in between is a no man's land. There's nothing there. That's where they're going to fight. So they've just blown their conches and rattled their sabers, and everybody's getting ready for the big war. And Arjuna tells Krishna, he said, drive out in the middle of the battlefield. Because I want to look at, I want to look at Duryodhana's army and see how they're set up. He's a professional. He wants to understand what kind of strategy that army has. And you know what he discovers at the, at the head of his army? The man he loves and respects the most, Bhishma and Dronacharya. They were his teachers. And they're fighting on Guryodhana's side. They're not bad men. They're good men, but Dharma requires that they, what? They owe a favor. They owe a favor to Duryodhana's father, the king. And the king asks, says, okay, I've taken care of you. I've done these things for you. Now I want you to fight on this behalf of my son. Duryodhana is born, his father is called Dhritarashtra, and you know what that means? He's a blind king, he can't see. So he's born in ignorance. That's that part of us that's born in ignorance. And these two men, they were great men, and Arjuna loved them totally. He sees Bhishma leading that army. And he, he just... he. And then he sees friends and relatives. He sees all kinds of acquaintances and so forth. Because, you know, everybody knew everybody. And he, and he realizes, hey, I've got to have to kill these people. I, I can't do this. I can't kill these people. I love these people. How can I do it? And he just breaks down. He has a huge emotional crisis. And he just, he sits down in his chariot and he throws his bow aside. That's the doer. The bow symbolizes the doer. That tense part of yourself that's strong, high-strung part of yourself. A doer that's always worried about the fruits of your action. That's a symbol of that. He throws his bow down. He says, I won't do, I won't fight. He's too emotional. He's crying. He's shaking. He just can't do it. He's just He has too much compassion and love for these people. And he won't do it. <clears throat> to Arjuna, who was overwhelmed with compassion, distressed and tearful, Krishna spoke these words. To behave like this is not becoming of a righteous man. It does not enhance your reputation, nor does it lead to heaven. A successful warrior does not give in to unmanliness. It does not benefit you, that you does not benefit you at all. 
overcome this emotional state, get up and fight. Wow. Huh? What a mean huh, person, huh? He's a guy, he's sympathetic. He's a, he's a kind guy. And, and, and his friend tells him, stop behaving like a wuss, man. Get up. You got a job to do here. You can't do that. Are, are, what are you? Are you a man? Here you are. You got all your warrior stuff on. You got your phone. You, you're a great warrior. You're the most famous warrior around. You killed tons of demons and all this sort of thing. You've just been. You've been. You know. You're really somebody. And here you are acting like like it's a, a schoolboy. What's wrong with you? Get up. Fight. Do your job. Arjuna replied. O oh, destroyer of demons. Actually, there's there's so much in this. I can't. I don't really have time to like to unfold all these beautiful little symbols. But the reason he says destroyer of demons, it's a kind of dig at Krishna. Because huh? all Krishna did was Krishna was was a jnani, and all he did was destroy people's ignorance. Those are the demons. He says, "Oh, you all you have to do is destroy ignorance." He says, "But my job is what." I gotta kill real people, so huh? <laughs> That's not you talk big here, but huh? He says, "Oh, destroyer of demons," he said. So there's a little bit of irony there. Mm -hmm. hmm? He says, "How can I? How can I fight these brave men who are worthy of worship? I would. It would be better to beg for food." than to kill these exalted men who taught me everything I know. He's thinking of Drona and Bhishma. What, whatever wealth and pleasure I will gain from this war will be stained with blood. It's impossible to tell whether it's better that we should conquer them or they should conquer us. Now he's confused. He doesn't even know who should win the war. See how emotional he is? This is a condition we get in in these crises in our life. We don't know what to do. We're paralyzed. Should I do this? Should I, you know, should I quit my job? Should I stay with the job? Should I divorce my husband? Should I stay with my husband? Should, what should I do? There are these, all, all the time, we have these emotional crises, crises and we're unable to act. We don't know what the right thing to do is. How can we, he said, how can we continue to live once we have slain these brave men facing us? You can just feel his, his, his conflict, his emotion. He loves these guys. And he's going to have to kill them. You can be sure that Bhishma and Drona were not sentimental. The, these men didn't have a crisis. They were going to kill Arjuna. They, they would have killed Arjuna if they had a chance. It was going to be difficult because they taught Arjuna all the tricks they knew. So it was anybody's guess he would die. Because Arjuna had the same knowledge they had. And Arjuna was a little younger, but they were more experienced in battle. But they were not sentimental. See? Arjuna's let his emotions take over. He's forgot the situation. 
He's forgot who he is. He's a warrior. He's got a job. He's forgot all that. His emotions have taken over. We have such a hard time with this because we're so, you know, we're so in love with our emotions. Our feelings are everything to us. This is what happens in wealthy societies. People lose contact with what's right. They just, just stick with their feelings only. In fact, a lot of people don't like Vedanta because it, it's not, it's too intellectual. There's no feelings here. Actually, this is the most emotional and traumatic teaching and most loving teaching there is, actually. But, but you know, there's a passion here. There's a huge passion for the truth. Vedanta is the most amazing teaching, but people don't see it. They say it's all intellectual. They say, oh, no, we don't want to study scripture. We don't want to know that. We got to, it's all about love. It's all about feelings. It's all about bhakti. There's no higher bhakti. There is no higher bhakti in the teaching. The Gita will tell you this, than people who love the truth. Your devotion to the truth is the highest form of bhakti. Don't let anybody tell you that because you're not tinkling little bells and in, in incense and bowing down at some altar, you know, or chanting some kind of mantras. Don't, don't let them tell you that you don't have bhakti. You have the greatest devotion. There's no greater devotion than what devotion to understanding who you are, to knowing the truth. So, so <clears throat> in any case, so he says, how are we going to do this? He gets emotional. He, he he trusts his emotions, and he says, I'm not doing it. And then he gives some, some, some reasons. It shows that he's got a good mind. But the problem is that all of his ideas are what? Are playing handmaiden to his emotions. In other words, he's using his intellect to justify his feelings. This means he's out of yoga. The intellect should what? Should tell your knowledge should what? Control your feelings. What you know and the truth should control your feelings. You shouldn't use your intellect to justify your feelings. But when you're out of yoga, your mind, your feelings, huh, become more important. Your intellect becomes less important and you use what? You use your, your thinking faculty to justify your emotional decisions. And that's what he's going to do here. Even, he says, even if I were to obtain, and it's a pretty reasonable argument, but it's not really an appropriate argument for this situation. He said, even if I were to obtain an unrivaled and prosperous kingdom by winning this war, I do not see anything that will take away this pain that disturbs my senses. There is something, but he doesn't see what it is. Krishna's going to tell him what it is, but he doesn't see it. You are right. He says, you're right. This is a big moment. Now, this is the most important part here, the beginning of the teaching. You are right. I am emotional and confused. I am your student. I take refuge in you. Tell me what I should do.
<laughs> I had just had it. <laughs> it's a long story, but now I won't tell it. Anyway, what is he saying here? I can't figure this out on my own. I'm too confused. I need help. And he, uh, he surrenders. It's called Sharanagati. He surrenders to what? To Krishna. He says, he says, I am your student. I take refuge in you. Tell me what I should do. Now this is a dangerous, this is a most important moment in your spiritual life. And, and why is it that you should take refuge in a teaching, in a teacher? Because you can't read your way to enlightenment and you can't experience your way to enlightenment. And you're not aware of what? Of, how, of this knowledge that's already in you. Reading a books about enlightenment or going to teachers who don't have a means of knowledge and who are not properly fully enlightened, who are not living a proper kind of life. And being unaware of what? of the knowledge that's already in you and incapable of what revealing this knowledge to yourself, you think you're going to do it on your own? You're not going to do it on your own. You will not be able to figure this out. You'll see. As we teach this, you'll see. My God, I, I would have never thought of that. When you hear it, you'll, it'll make perfect sense. I'll say, you're right. Absolutely. And then you say, well, I would, could have never thought of that myself. Because that's hidden inside you and the teaching has to make you aware of that. Bring that out so you can see it. So you, and that's what the teacher does. The teaching with the teacher shows you what that is inside you. So many, now, it's a very dangerous thing to do, particularly nowadays. Isn't it? Because if you don't know what enlightenment is, and somebody says they're enlightened, you might very well believe them. And there are many enlightened people who have no teaching whatsoever. They just talk about their experience. Or, or that's all they do. And they, they may inspire you to seek enlightenment, they, they're made by, uh, but they don't have a teaching at all. They, what, they think their words are a teaching, but their words aren't a teaching. There's no system to it. There's no basic structure to it. And, it, and their teachings ignore all of the difficult facts about the spiritual life. Because most of the people don't want to hear the truth about spiritual life. That first of all, they don't want to hear that they're that you need to be qualified. Has anybody read any any teachers or heard been to any satsangs where the teacher said for sure, apart from our tradition, where the teacher said for sure that you needed to be qualified, and told you what all those qualifications were? No, because nobody does. Do you see them talking about dharma and values? No, you don't. Maybe. But basically, I'm speaking now mostly of what's called Neo-Advaita, the new 
the near or Dwaita people. Do you see karma yoga? No, you don't. If you do, you see a very, very perverted form of karma yoga. And I'll explain what that is because we're going to talk about karma yoga. Values. Do they actually what? Get into a, help you with a fearless moral inventory of your values with reference to enlightenment? No, they don't. Do they uh, attack the notion of experiential enlightenment? No, they don't. They conveniently avoid all of the major topics and all they want to do is talk about the self. They know, that's right, they're right. There's nothing you can do to get the self, you're only the self, but that's it. That's good for starting. That's, that's good to get you, get you aware of the idea that you're not the ego, that you're not the doer. That's good enough to get you started, but that's not going to take you all the way. And you can go, you'll see people in the, that come to Vedanta, they've hopped through all of the different teachings. They've gone from one to another, each time thinking that that teacher or that teaching would do it, and then what? Finding the limitations there and moving on and on, on. This is the last stop here. Huh? If, if Vedanta doesn't work, <laughs> you, your, your goose is cooked, I tell you. And, and very few people leave it, actually. Once you hear this teaching, you, you generally don't go back. One or Occasionally people do, maybe one out of 50 or 100 does. And usually those people, after one or two years, said, well, <laughs> I got involved in something, whatever it was, but that didn't work on back. Because you've got the whole teaching here. And, and we're not afraid to tell you the unpleasant facts. Okay? See, I, I don't, I'm not taking money from you. If you want to give me some money, that's great. But I'm not asking money from you. And, and we don't promote. We're not trying to gather people. So we can tell you the truth. And the truth is, is a very beautiful thing, but it's also a very painful thing. And, and, so, and, and we're committed to telling you the facts, whether you like it or not. I, I don't want you to like me. Okay? I'm very happy if you like me, and I, I'm happy to like you. But I don't want you to like me. I don't want you to love me or like me at all. All I asked you last night and all I'm asking you now is what? Just listen to what I have to say and see if it doesn't make sense. The, the Buddha said that. You know what the Buddha said? I love that statement of the Buddha. It's such a great statement. He said, Believe nothing you have heard or nothing you have read. He said, So forget all the stuff you've read. Nothing you have heard meaning I'll be going to all these satsangs and videos and all that sort of stuff. Of course, there weren't videos in his days, but, you know, people were talking about enlightenment a lot, all the time. And what? Or, he said, or anything you've heard, even if I have said it, he said, don't believe what I have said, either. He's, then he said, what? unless it corresponds with common sense and reason. 
I have never been, I, I'm, just a, I'm just a guy from Montana. I grew up in the 40s and 50s. These, this spiritual world, it, it, I'm still as surprised at the crazy ideas that I hear from people in this world. It's unbelievable what people believe in the spiritual world. It doesn't make any sense at all. It's totally, like, absurd. Ascended masters and div all these, oh my God, I quit even listening to it anymore because it gets me, it gets me upset. Because <laughs> it's so crazy. So he says, unless it corresponds with common sense and reason, this has got to make sense. Got to be reasonable. If it's not, forget it. The idea that you can experience the self as an object, totally unreasonable. It's completely based upon what? The notion that what? Reality is a duality. Those people who tell you that don't even know that reality is non-dual, even though they tell you that reality is non-dual. They tell you reality is non-dual, but you can experience the self as an object. You can get the experience of consciousness and establish yourself in that higher state. And you can make that state permanent. Don't talk like that. Totally illogical. Completely irrational. But, huh? They say it with confidence and believe it, and then you will believe it. So it's very dangerous. So that's what I'm saying here. It's extremely dangerous to just trust what people say. If you don't know what enlightenment is, how do you know that person's enlightened? How do you know? And, and we're good people. We want to give our confidence to people. Huh? You want... You want, you know, you want a teacher to think you're a good person. So you're, you, you show your goodness by what? Giving your confidence to that person. And you say, I will believe what you say. Well, we're all for faith. Faith is good. But what? Not blind faith. We don't believe in blind faith. We say faith pending the result of your investigation. That means what? You tell me what the truth is. I'll believe it, but you must give me means, <coughs> methods for what? For showing this, revealing this to myself. And we do. That's what our teachings are. Our teachings are... We call them prakras or teachings. These teachings will what? Will confirm for you what the scripture is saying if you practice them properly. So, just trusting a guru, you know, I've got to know what enlightenment is. I have to understand it. He's going to say here, he said, Man, there are many notions of enlightenment out there. You better get it clear what it is. That's why we take so much time, even before we really talk about the self, we take so much time to create this whole context so you can understand what enlightenment is. 
You have to have a complete teaching. Just some guy sitting up there smiling and all beautiful, you know, their beautiful hair. And now some of the gurus even get facelifts, you know. You know who I'm talking about. You know, or sit on a plexiglass panel and look like they're floating in space. And all this, you know. And they talk all these lovely words, all this stuff. But, but, and you read their books and you say, what are they actually saying? Because it's all so vague. Huh? It's, it, there's nothing that you can actually grab onto. It's just like talking about consciousness and about enlightenment. We don't talk about it. We, we teach it. This is a teaching that, that teaches it. This reveals consciousness. This reveals your nature. It strips away your ignorance slowly, patiently, using, this, using these methods, these teachings, methods, these prakriyas. And if you're qualified, you will see it. There's just no doubt about it. And it's not personal. It has nothing to do with me at all. Well, it does, because I'm the guy that pushes the buttons. But it's not personal. I'm just doing my job. I'm, I'm trained as a teacher, and I happen to be taught properly by a proper teacher. And I've loved this for 45 years. I've been every day. I've studied and read the scripture for 45 years. I've never, I never. I'm an expert in the, on this topic. When I get out the door, I'm not an expert on anything. Okay. <laughs> when I'm sitting here, I'm an expert. But out there, I'm just a guy, a regular guy. I happen. This knowledge happens to work very nicely for me. But, you know. You need to be taught properly by a professional. This should be a professional thing. It shouldn't be an emotional decision. It should be a rational, intellectual decision, and it requires work. We don't want to hear that, do we? This is a, this is a world of fast food. I want my instant enlightenment. I want to go to, oh, the Golden Temple and have Kalki Avatar. I want to spend $5,000 and have my put it hands on my head, and in 17 days, I want my brain reversed, and then I'm going to be enlightened. Huh? Well, there's people that did that. I met somebody recently who, who, who got a discount. <laughs> it was only $3,500, but uh, still, you know, I, I think, well, after it's worth it. $5,000 for 17, you know, for 21 days. And they feed you too, so at least you get free food and a place to stay for your 5,000. And then after 17, 21 days, you're enlightened. Where's the common sense here? There's no common sense. There's desperation, but no common sense. Everywhere, you see it everywhere. Raise your kundalini. They want, huh? These people, all they're trying to squiddle their kundalini up and blast out and have some big cosmic orgasm, Shiva and Shakti all having sex up there in the, in the <laughs> upper chakras and all this. <laughs> help me, please help me, you know, get, where's the logic here? Where's the reason here? And even if those things do happen, they don't last. And you just get a huge desire for another, another experience, another epiphany. What's the point? Then you're right back to where you were before. Then you become a spiritual junkie. You get all stuck 
hanging around your spiritual door. Amachi. Look at all those people hanging around Amachi. Really, I mean, they're psychologically, they're a mess. But as long as they can, like, stay around Amachi and get their hugs and be in that Shakti, then they feel okay. They feel pretty happy. But take them away from their guru and what happens? Boom, they don't, they're out of their depth. They can't function in society. They can't tie their shoelaces or pay their taxes. They're just floating around in some kind of Shakti bubble. Yeah, it's... it's uh, so, you know, this thing about a teacher is very dangerous. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to point out that, you know, what what a teaching is and what the te- and how it works and the importance of qualifications for this. And you're going to see here soon Arjuna's going to you're going to see him asking a question to Christian, you're going to see that even his his desires are 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 manipulating him. So he's not pers- he's not purposefully misunderstanding, but he's definitely misunderstanding. He's conveniently misunderstanding. Because he's got a desire other than what Krishna's telling him. Krishna's telling him, get up and fight, and he doesn't want to do what his teacher says. And he shouldn't, actually. You shouldn't just, when they tell you something to do, this is a guru idea. Oh, I'm surrendered to the guru. The guru will bust my ego. And so whatever the guru tells me to do, I should do. That will prove my devotion. No, you shouldn't do that. Usually the guru tells you, give me a lot of money or take off your clothes and get in bed with me. One of the two. That's, that's about the extent of the imagination of most of the modern gurus. I mean, I wish they had some more interesting um, desires. But it seems, huh? it's a shame. But it seems like their desires are just as ordinary as everybody else's. You, you'd expect something, you know, really creative from them, but no, it never is. So you need to, you shouldn't do what a guru says. And we never tell you what to do, actually. When, 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 when Krishna tells him to do this, he's not telling, he's not his teacher yet. Huh? <laughs> Later on when he tells him to do it, he's going to explain why he should do it. But at that point, he's not his teacher yet. He's just telling him, hey, you can't do this. I'm your friend. You can't do this. This is wrong. You got a job and you should do your job. And you're here and this is all set up and you can't walk away from this. You're going to ruin your life. You're going to ruin your reputation. Those guys are going to what? Those guys are going to continue to make make the world hell. Because Duryodhana, he just wasn't going to give up. He's a dissatisfied person and he makes people miserable and he likes making people miserable. So, so, so this is a really important moment for this man. And lucky, he's lucky because he gets a he gets an enlightened person for his, his, his. He doesn't even know. You see, there's another lesson here in this very first thing: is that it don't seek gurus, don't look for teachers. He wasn't looking for a teacher. He was just trying to solve a problem. His teacher was there around him all along. He didn't recognize him as a teacher. But at the right time, what? 
Ishwara gave him the teacher he needed. So don't go around chasing looking for gurus. You, when, when the time is right, that teacher will appear. And you'll be open to it and you'll be prepared for it and you'll be able to listen to what the teacher has to say. So, so <clears throat> you can't, you, you know, I'm a smart guy, but I, could, and I, and I worked really hard spiritually and I had every spiritual experience you could have dozens of times and I read every spiritual book on from all the different traditions and yogas and Vedantas and you could read. I, I worked day and night on it for four years. I had money. I didn't have any I didn't have a job. I just sold a business and I had plenty of money. And I wasn't interested in women or money or anything else. I just wanted to get enlightened and I failed miserably. I worked at it. 24 hours a day for four years, suffered like a dog trying to get this enlightenment, and at the end of the day I was just as stupid as the day I began. And the very day that I gave up on the enlightenment thing was the day my teacher appeared. I said, I'm, I quit. I'm going to go back to school, I'm going to finish my degree, and I'm going to be, try to try to be a normal person. It's going to be hard to do, but I thought I could just try to be a normal person, get a job, get a wife and kid and have kids and live like a normal person. And that very day, I, so I gave it up, and then the teacher came. Because you know, that's how it works. So then Arjuna said, how are we doing here? Oh, my God. Jesus, we're not, we're not going too fast through this, are we? <laughs> it's not like to get into the end, huh? It's okay. All this is important. This is the teaching. These are all teachings. Then the great warrior said, I shall not fight, and fell silent. What a day, huh? Boy. Thank you for listening to the talk of James Wards on the Bhagavad Gita, recorded at Yogavitya Bad Meinberg near Hanover in Germany. More information on shiningworld.com and yoga-vidya.org.